I'm Kaylee. I'm Gracie. And this is Sinister Sofa Talks. Benito. Benito. (laughs) (laughs) He's breathing loud. Okay, so our cases right now are Sagittarius. Sagittarius. I even say the plural. Sagittarius. I just say Sagittarius. Sagittarius are (laughs) (laughs) typically charismatic and thrive on adventure. So it makes sense that these thrill-seeking Sagittarius might be more likely to take a chance on going through with a heinous act. Um, They are impulsive and spontaneous, and they don't always think things through. Some of our more common Sagittarius killers would be Ted Bundy, I think. Is Ed Kemper one? Yep, Ed Kemper. No, that's Ed Gein. Oh. Ed Kemper is the co-ed killer. I don't think I know that one. I'm sure you do. I think those are just the bigger ones. I don't know this dude, but he looks weird. No? No. So, those are our Sagittarius. So, my case is on David Edwin Mason. He was born on December 2nd, 1956 in Statesboro, Georgia. He was the fourth in a line of eight children, but the oldest son. He was born to Harris and Margie Mason. And according to David's father, he was an unwanted pregnancy. And he was so unwanted that his mother tried to induce a miscarriage by lifting heavy furniture and riding horses. And it obviously didn't work, but... She tried throughout the pregnancy to get rid of it. Get an abortion. That's so sad. Well, it's also the 50s, like... Oh, okay, yeah. And, oh, and there was this quote that I had seen. It was from older sister Darlene. She said, My mother made it clear to all of us, including David, that David was an unwanted child. I remember being very young and hearing her say she wished David never had been born. Which is so sad. So many kids... Why do they only not want one? I don't know. Because I didn't see anything about them, like, saying that about any of their others. I'm assuming he's a serial killer. Well, yes. Okay. I mean, he wasn't when (gasps) he was a baby, though, so... Okay, but think of a situation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, shortly after his birth, the family moved to Oakland, California, and Mason's parents were strict fundamentalist Pentecostals. I think I'm saying that right. And as a result of this, the parents would subject their children to harsh physical, psychological, and verbal abuse if any of them showed what they considered to be a lack of enthusiasm for their religious activities. So, of course, I had to research this a little bit because I did not know what the fuck that was. So, it looked to me that, like, the fundamentalists are actually different from Pentecostals. So I was a little confused as to how they were both, but fundamentalists or like fundamentalism is characterized by a clear-cut doctrine of what adherents believe to be the fundamentals of Christian orthodoxy. So it's like a literal approach to reading the Bible. So what that Bible says, that's like literally how they're interpreting it. 
and fundamentalists concentrated much of their energy on building institutions such as separate churches and schools that would allow them to kind of shun the what they consider to be corrupting influence of society and competing forms of Christianity, kind of like shun their people away from it. And then Pentecostals are often distinguished by their exuberant spirit-filled worship, the practice of speaking in tongues, and services of miraculous healing. So, oh, and so I read a little bit too on the Pentecostals that their roots are in the, oh my god, their roots are in the holiness movement of the late 19th century as well as the early 20th century. Um, the spiritual healing minister Charles Fox Parham is the one that kind of made these a thing. So basically to sum her all up, they're batshit crazy, in my opinion, in my professional opinion. Anyway, so David and his siblings, when they would talk about their childhood, they only remembered spending time at their church or in their house, which is really sad, kind of fucked up. So trigger warning on this next little bit of information. It's in regards to him harming himself. It got to the point where David just couldn't handle the abuse from his parents anymore. And his first suicide attempt was at the age of five. Jesus Christ. At five years old, he swallowed several dozens of tablets in an attempt to commit suicide. How does a five-year-old even know about that? Right? I don't, I do not understand how a five-year-old even understands what that is. So, I mean, that's really sad, but... And it obviously was unsuccessful, but those attempts would continue throughout his childhood um, in the form of self-harm, hanging, setting his clothes on fire while he's still wearing them, cutting his veins, and then throwing himself down the stairs. Oh, Lord. I know. David had recalled on at least two occasions that his mother had inflicted more than 100 hits like, to him during a punishment session with, like, a bell or a switch. And it said a pancake turner. I'm assuming that's, like, a spatula, I'm guessing. Yeah. So they were just very, very abusive towards their children. In the mid-1960s, David began to exhibit concerning behaviors and signs of mental illness. And at the age of eight, his father found him standing in front of his younger brother's crib with a knife in his hand, for which he was then beaten. Um, Unable to control his behavior, David's parents began to lock him in his room for prolonged periods of time, and they also installed a grate with steel bars on the window, so it's basically like a literal jail cell in his room. And there was one instance where David, he had been locked in there so long, and he had defecated on himself while locked in the room, so his mom punished him for doing that, and she forced him to wear the his soiled underwear on his head oh my god for hours i know that's fucked i know so as david got older and he continued attempting suicide he also would attack other children and his teachers and he would also attempt to set fires to buildings and in 1970 david was arrested for several petty offenses after which he reported his parents abuse um, to the authorities. He underwent a psychiatric ev- evaluation, which determined that he had an IQ of 110, which 
I'm not that smart. My IQ is not that high, but I'm pretty sure that's a that's a pretty good IQ. I don't even know what the average IQ is. I genuinely don't either. Like, let's see real quick. Let's see. It says the average IQ in the U.S. is 98. So that's pretty high. So had an IQ of 110 and a good learning ability, but he also showed signs of PTSD, which fair. Mm-hmm. The abuse that he went through, for which he was then sent to a boarding school with his parents' permission. David escaped from the boarding school and returned home on several occasions. So almost kind of like a Stockholm kind of thing. Because mm. I don't know why he would go back. But he, when he would return home, he would claim that he had been sexually abused by staff and other children. But each time he escaped, he would be forcibly returned to the school. And then in 1973, he was arrested and convicted for yet another arson for which he was given several months imprisonment at a juvenile detention center and then returning home after finishing his sentence. The following year, he dropped out of school shortly before finishing the 11th grade and enlisted in the Marine Corps, which is absolutely, I know this was a different time, but that's absolutely like totally shocking to me because nowadays like you cannot have a record of mental health issues and then be able to join Mm -hmm. the military so I guess it was just a different time but he quite quickly lost interest in military service though and during his first few weeks David committed numerous offenses and was disciplined several times, resulting in his dismissal from the Marines four months later, and then, of course, returning to his parents' house. After returning to Oakland, David supported himself through odd jobs and prostitution. So then, on July 8th, 1977, David stabbed a store clerk, uh, Virginia Jansen with an ice pick in the back after robbing a store in San Leandro, San Leandro, before stealing her pocket money and $270 from the cash register. He threatened to kill her if she called the police and testified against him. He then cleaned his fingerprints from various objects and left. Virginia was hospitalized for her wounds and she did survive, um, And she was basically like, fuck you, bitch, and went to the cops and positively identified him. An arrest warrant was then issued, and he actually voluntarily surrendered to police. And at trial, David pled guilty to the crimes. And then he was sentenced in November 1977 to 36 months in state prison, but was paroled on July 13th, 1979. Then in March 1980, David assaulted and attempted to rob a victim who was returning home late at night. During this ensuing fight, David struck the victim on top of the head with a gun. And in December 1980, David gained admittance to the home of an elderly couple under the pretext of selling and delivering firewood. He handcuffed the victims to chairs and robbed them of $47,000 worth of jewelry and coins. In February 1981, David was arrested again and had a loaded, sawed-off shotgun, pistol, and ammo in his possession. He was convicted and sentenced in April 1982. He confessed to these crimes and was sentenced in June 1982 to a total of 124 months in state prison for both of the crimes that he committed in 1980. After he was released, that's when he started killing people. So I'm just kind of go, I'm going to go like 
victim by victim. His first victim was 73-year-old female named Joan Picard. She knew David for eight years and had actually employed him for like the odds and ends jobs and had even invited him into her apartment and showed him her alarm system, including panic buttons. So on March 6, 1980, David went to Joan's house and threatened her with a weapon, demanding that she hand over her coin collection, money, and any other valuables. During this robbery, Joan unsuccessfully attempted to turn on her alarm. When she attempted this, David choked her into unconsciousness. He then used this time to loot for money and valuables. Joan soon woke up and attempted to flee. David unfortunately caught up to her, where he then beat her and tied her with electrical wire before finally strangling her to death. That same evening, he sold the coins he had robbed from Joan for a whopping $85. Joan's body, clothed only in her blue skirt and bra, was found two days later by her daughter. Victim number two was an 83-year-old man. Because he keeps wanting for old people. Yeah, he's got this weird thing for old people because that's, like, basically all of his victims. It's really weird. Oh, yeah. Um... So Arthur Jennings, known for paying teenagers and young men for sexual services. David himself even later alleged that he had had sex with Arthur on several occasions. But on August 28, 1980, David went to Arthur's house and subsequently strangled him. After eventually killing him, David stole $16 and a ring that Arthur had been given while serving in the army. On November 11th, of 1980, David broke into victim number three's house, 75-year-old female Antoinette Brown's. It was a high-rise apartment. He had beaten and strangled her with a knot made from underwear and other clothing. After the murder, he stole some rings and money, but before leaving the scene, he stripped her body from all of its clothing, leaving her almost completely nude. Like, it was just weird things that he would do. I don't know. It just didn't really, like, make sense. On December 6, 1980, David broke into the second-story apartment of victim number four, 72-year-old female Dorothy Lang, whom he immediately attacked. Dorothy resisted fiercely, which David reacted by striking her several times on the head and chest with a wrench, fracturing... Oh my fuck, I'm so tired, I can't talk. Fracturing several ribs before finally strangling her with his bare hands. After the murder, he stole a number of valuables from the apartment and then stripped Ling's clothing, leaving only a sweater and bra on, which he had, like, pushed up to her neck. David netted less than $200 in loot from each of the murder incidents, but prosecutors believe that there were also sexual connotations to these killings, hence stripping them nude or, like, pushing their bra up, but I don't think there was any... Like, he didn't actually perform any sexual acts, so that's why everyone was just kind of confused why he did what he did. So, between the murders of Antoinette and Dorothy, David traveled to Butte County, where he took up residence with 55-year-old Robert Groff. And according to David, Robert had declared at one point that he had deliberately infected David with herpes. So, later... While Robert slept, David shot him in the head, looted the trailer, and returned to the Bay Area. Jesus Christ. I know. In the following weeks, David was involved in two shootouts with police, but narrowly escaped arrest. 
convinced he was about to die, he recorded, he recorded, what the fuck? He recorded his long rambling epitaph in which he confessed to four of the Oakland murders. And I tried really, really hard to find this recording and I just, I could not find it at all. But he said in this apparently, and this is just really fucking gross, but he said, in a way, I feel I did these people a favor. I don't what? know for why or for how, but okay. I feel like he has no, like, rhyme or reason with anything. Exactly. Like, it's really confusing. Like, he obviously has a type. Like, he prefers yeah. older, but probably because they can't really fight back, I would assume. Mm-hmm. But... He's not gaining a lot from these robberies, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. So he records this this long rambling, this confession. He then mailed it to his family, who immediately turned it over to authorities. So police tracked him down at a Holiday Inn and arrested him without incident. But while David was awaiting trial, 24-year-old Boyd Wayne Johnson... He was assigned to the same cell as David and some other... So David and some other inmates became convinced that Boyd was this snitch that he would, like, find out information about other inmates and then hand it over to authorities to kind of, like, lessen his time. So David convinced one of the other inmates to assist in the murder of Boyd and early one morning they burst into the cell attacking him immediately. While he resisted violently, Boyd was overpowered, severely beaten, and then finally strangled with a towel. After killing him, they went to the shower room, carrying his body along, which they then hung from a water pipe, trying to make it look like a suicide. Oh my god. I know. After the body was discovered, all of the inmates were questioned as to what had happened, and during this investigation, the inmate assisting David actually confessed that he and David were the ones that had killed him. The prison authorities searched through David's cell and personal belongings, finding bloodstains on his towel and shoes, as well as numerous abrasions and bruises on David himself, indicating the recent struggle. Blood particles and skin were extracted from under the fingernails of the murdered inmate, and a DNA test was quickly matched to David's blood group. So, his trial had opened in late 1983, and at the trial, he actually retracted his initial testimony and ended up pleading not guilty to all the charges. He was claiming that he had an alibi for the day that Arthur Jennings had been murdered. David stated that he had been working at the Thrift Town secondhand shop on that day and presented a timesheet, which displayed that he had been at the store at 12.31 p.m. and left at 9.02 p.m. However, the court dismissed this as proof of his innocence because um, David's brother and his close friend Karen Warden also worked there, so they basically assumed that they could be easily falsified. They could have clocked him in or something like that. Mm-hmm. David also denied any involvement in um, Antoinette's murder, claiming that on November 16th, he had been in 
Groff's trailer 145 miles away from the crime scene. But Groff's neighbor later confirmed these claims, saying that on that evening, he had helped Mason and Groff install a new water heater. The neighbor's wife later claimed that her husband had been mistaken about the dates and that the installation had actually taken place on November 23rd, not the 16th, which was a week after the murder. So she later provided evidence that the couple had been staying with relatives in Yuba City at that time and had only returned on November 23rd, so it couldn't have been on the 16th. David also claimed that on the day of Dorothy's murder, he had been staying at the house of his friend Patricia Buckley in Berkeley. Buckley later confirmed his claims, affirming that between 5 p.m. and 10 p.m., Mason had not left the house. Nonetheless, Mason, David, I've been saying his first name. David had not left the house. Nonetheless, David was found guilty of five murders and sentenced to death on January 27, 1984. No charges were brought in the murder of Groff, although he did remain a suspect in that case. After his conviction, David was transferred to San Quentin to await execution where he spent the remainder of his life. While in prison, he married this woman named Charlene, and to her fully admitting guilt for his crimes and expressing remorse for what he had done. And in early in, in the early 1990s, his lawyer drew up an appeal arguing that his client's sentence be commuted to a life imprisonment instead of death, citing his abusive childhood and mental issues as kind of a reason by insanity kind of thing. Yeah. Despite the likelihood of a new trial and the overturning of his death sentence, David voluntarily withdrew his appeal. He had gotten a life sentence instead of death. He then withdrew his appeal in June of 1993 and set an execution date of August 24th, 1993. He later claimed that his decision was influenced by his remorse and a desire to teach a lesson to other criminals so that they would not repeat his mistakes. So noble. So in July of that same year, journalists like would visit him on death row And David had actually given a 90-minute interview in which he had talked about the last nine years of his life. In it, he said that he had embraced humanism, that he came to understand the pain that he had caused to the families of the victims, and declared his readiness to take responsibility for his actions. He also said that he had no intention of changing his decision in spite of receiving over 200 letters from various people begging him to renew his appeal and two lawsuits by anti-death penalty activists. But he's being really noble and he's saying, no, I, I yeah. have to die for what I did. Yeah. So after refusing to file appeals in August 1993, David's lawyer, Charles Marson, claimed that his client was insane and unable to make decisions of this magnitude of his own accord. Marson filed an appeal to the United States Court of Appeal for the Ninth Circuit requesting that David be given a new psychiatric examination, but a a panel of three judges ruled that his client had a right to decide his own fate, resulting in David's dismissal of Marson and his provisional of a new lawyer. David would spend the last day of his life with members of his family, refusing a last meal, 
Like, his last meal was a glass of water, <laughs> which, like, so fucking dramatic, dude. Like, whatever. <laughs> and instead asked that he and his family dine on the same food provided to the other prisoners. Because that's only fair. What? Why did you want to spend time with him? I thought they hated him. I... I don't know, because it just says his family, so I don't know if that was just his siblings, maybe. Yeah. And not his parents. Like, that's kind of the vibe that I got from it. David also refused to confess to a priest and asked permission from the prison administration for unlimited use of the telephone in his last hours. California state officials said that David can stop the execution at any time, even when tied to the chair in the gas chamber, by simply stating that he wanted to file an appeal, which was already drafted by his lawyer. In case he changed his mind, prison administration installed a telephone in the gas chamber by which David, if he so desired, could contact his new lawyer, Mike Brady. Brady, in turn, would contact the Ninth Circuit, who would order that execution be halted, extending David's life by another three years. But David never did so, and before the execution, he requested that none of his family members be witnesses of his death, wishing that they remember him as they last saw him on their final visits. David Mason was executed on August 24th, 1993 at 12.23 local time, seven minutes after entering the gas chamber. Before his execution, he was told where his lawyer was among the witnesses, and if he changed his mind, he would only have to blink twice to signal that he wanted to stop the execution. According to Brady, however, once he was told that, Mason refused to look in his direction. In later statement, Warden Daniel Vasquez told, told David... What the fuck? Told that David refused to issue a final statement, saying only the following. No, Warden, I want to proceed. Thank you, Warden. And that is David Mason. Or was. (laughs) Or was. Or was. Seems like a little bit. I mean, really, really fucked up childhood. And, you know, you can feel bad in that way. But, like, that wasn't, like, a noble ending, dude. Like, it wasn't. Like, you're not. Good for you. Heroic. How old was he when he died? He was 36. Mm. He's got kind of like a um fucking Oh, that's not what are they called? Neanderthals. Neanderthals. What, what the fuck are those? He's got like a cave he's got like a caveman head. Oh like his forehead. Basically he looked <laughs> 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 That's not what I pictured him to look like. No. This one was hard, though, because I don't know if it's because it was so... I mean, it really wasn't that long ago, but there's not a ton of pictures of him that I can find. I could not... I literally searched for, like, an hour. You could probably find it, I'm sure. But I could not find that fucking recording. It was so hard to research this guy. When you search his name, the top search is last meal. Is what? Is his last meal. Oh, of water? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's so dramatic. Just fucking eat, you psychopath. Like, oh my god. Like, oh my god. No, I can only have water. I don't even deserve a meal. I mean, you're probably right, but, like, stop being so fucking dramatic. Oh my god. You know what I never thought about? People that, like, Hmm. are executed, they still get buried. (laughs) Why did I never think of that before? I literally... Because when I search his name, a grave comes up. I've literally never even thought of that before. (laughs) I know. 
<laughs> we sound fucking stupid. We probably are. It's fine. But isn't that weird to think about? Like these guys. <laughs> that is weird. People and they still get a hole in the ground, or like a last wish, like if they want to be buried or cremated. Don't you think? I don't think they should have a choice. I don't. Like well, I feel like if you're a murderer, the state gets to decide what they want to do with your body. Well, and wouldn't it just be better to just cremate so we're not wasting a hole in the ground for? You know what I mean? Like. Well, yeah, and what about if they're in the same cemetery as the people? As that the they people made? that they killed. Yeah. Why have I never thought of that before? I know. That's kind of fucked up. I know. Do you think that, that the family gets to decide where they're buried? I doubt it. Well, like, his family, sure. Well, yeah. But I feel like it should be up to the state because they, like, now own you. I'm not I shouldn't because I've never thought of that. Somebody. <laughs> and you... How do you Google that? Um, I just... Oh, there is a prison cemetery. How do death row inmates... Oh, that's uh, just for ones that aren't claimed by family or friends. That's crazy. They literally can have whole ass funerals and everything. I don't know. Well, this one it says that the prison cemeteries include convicts executed for capital crimes. Hmm. They're like, nah, bro, your spirit's staying right here. What the fuck? One of the searches says, do we bury inmates standing up? You've never seen that before? No. I don't know if I've ever actually, like, seen it, like, for reals, for reals, but I've, like, seen people talking about it, that it makes more sense to bury people vertically instead of horizontally because there'd be so much more room (laughs) if you buried them. Like, it's, that's very logical. That makes sense. That's what it says. It says, this means the body's position standing up rather than laying down effectively space. Yeah. Do you know how many people there are in the world? We're going to fucking run out of Earth to bury people. We're going to run out of We're gonna Earth. We're going to have to be on top of... <laughs> We're going to have to be on top of each other. <laughs> but it would make more sense to bury vertically. I'm just not going to get buried. I think I'm going to be cremated. Same. I want to be cremated into a necklace. <gasps> That'd be cute. Have you seen the... Um, I don't know if it's a real thing or not, but like... Have you seen the people that make their bodies into like Diamonds? a tree? Oh. A tree. <laughs> you can tell we're very different. <laughs> Diamonds? No, a tree. I mean, I have seen that. No, have you seen that? That like That'd be cool. But what about if a bitch cut me down? I'd be mad. I know, I would be too. I, I would haunt the fuck out of whoever did that. But that would be cool. I don't know. I think graves are fucking depressing. Like, why would I want to be buried in the ground? Ooh, actually... Yeah. We should all, like, buy a lot in a different country and bury all of us there. Because I'm going to be like, fuck yeah, we're in, like, Italy. <laughs> I was going to say Ireland. <laughs> yeah, because you're married to an Irish fuck, Kaylee. I don't think he's Irish. We're going to find out. I got him a 23 and me. I'm Irish. We are Irish. Did you know that? <laughs> Keely, we're fucking muds. We're everything. We're Native American. We're fucking Spanish. We're German. No, we're. I did that twenty three and Me thing. Oh, you did. did? I never show you that. Yeah. Mm, no. And it's like seventy percent Irish, and that's on. It's from Granny's side. See, but Granny had Spanish on her side. Her last name was Nagel Gracie. She literally has Spanish on her side. I know. It's it's her not mom's a lot. Name is fucking Dora. 
It's not a lot. Here, I'm going to pull it up right now. I want to be Italian. I wish we were Italian. Mozzarella. There was a little bit. Let's see. Okay, so 73% Irish, 3.2% French and German, 5.3% Italian, and the Spanish is only half a percent. Well, I want to do one of those. And I'm 4% Scandinavian. Oh, Dad has a lot of Scandinavian in his. Oh, that's right. I remember that. Yeah. This thing is fucking cool, though. Like, totally... We're not there yet. This is not sponsored at all. I just think it's fucking cool. But if you do this, (laughs) I do, because I did the health and ancestry one. So it tells you all of like what your health would look like as well based on your genetics. But then it connects you with relatives that have also done 23andMe. I don't want to know relatives. It's kind of cool. Yeah, but I don't want to know anyone. Well, but, like, we've got some that, like, still live in Ireland. Kaylee, I have You know, like, third cousins or whatever. You know, I bet dad has siblings in, um, the, shit, Vietnam. Wait, was that, is that a country? (laughs) But, yeah, I don't know. Kaylee, I was just gonna say the Philippines, but I knew that was right. Kaylee's fucking going. You're making, you're literally making me fucking question myself. It's a country. Yeah, it's a country. You guys, it's 12.30 in the morning. <laughs> We're not the smartest right now. <laughs> it's fine. We're both actually very intelligent, just not at midnight. No, but what about if we had, like, a long-lost sibling in Australia? And all That's so fucking random. Well, it would just be cool if we got it a sibling cool. down the... <laughs> What? I don't think cool. it's at any of... We're not Australian, I know that. Um, isn't that shit, like, expensive? I got it for Christmas last year, and then I got Dom's for Christmas this year, and it was on sale, so it was only, like, 130 bucks. But, you know, your girl does Klarna, so... Oh, that is. Split that bitch up into four payments. <laughs> I don't do that, because then I just you know? get mad that more money's being taken out. Huh. Wait. Is 23 is. Yeah. Yeah, because if you do 23 and me, it like ours will connect. <laughs> ours will connect. Because we're sisters. I'll probably get a fucking thing saying you're gonna get type one diabetes or something. <laughs> I think I have diabetes. <laughs> I doubt it. That doesn't run in the family. Kaylee, I literally have the worst fucking genetics in this family. I know. Everything skipped me. Like, I literally even had my doctor checked for that, um, blood factor. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't I've... have it. Yeah, I have it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I think Santa's upstairs right now. Oh, you better go sleep. No, I think I might check my stocking. <laughs> what? I do that every year. You do not. I do too. <laughs> You literally can't wait a few hours. I like looking, okay? I just oh look at the top. I just look at the top. Literally, I've done that since I was like seven. You can't judge. It's hard to break habits when you're an addict. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's another thing that's genetic. Is we've got very addictive personalities. I know. That's why I literally can't take anything. That's why I literally don't even take fucking ibuprofen. <laughs> I don't take anything. God. Okay, let me do our outro. So, I have it ready this time. Okay. 
So you can email us at SinisterSofaTalks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at SinisterSofaTalks. Please leave us a review and email us with any recommendations on your own cases that you'd like to see us cover. We would also love to read your sinister stories, whether they are true crime, murder involved, spooky, or anything of that sort. Just put in the title line of your email, Sinister Stories, and what your Zodiac sign is, and we'll read those correlating to what Zodiac dates that we're currently in. Thank you so much for listening. Catch us on the next one. You sound fucking depressed. I'm tired. I'm literally, (laughs) it is like four hours past my bedtime right now. Well, My voice gets deeper the more tired that I get. I know, I can tell. I'm like... (laughs) Thank mm-hmm. you.